This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today we're starting a brand new series called All In. Let me, I, I sent out an email this week. I just want to explain that a little bit. I said this could be the most important series we've ever done in the history of our church. And I want to just kind of tell you why it is that. There are so many of you that over the past few years, few months, even few weeks, that you've been praying for God to do something important in your life. You've been praying for God to give you a breakthrough, praying for a a kid to come to know Jesus, been praying for freedom in certain areas. And here's the thing. Like, I believe that in this series, there are some of y'all that are going to get that. The things that you've been praying for, longing for, seeking God for, they're going to come as we sit under the teaching of God, and God it challenges us not to live half-heartedly anymore. See, there are so many of us that are experiencing difficulty, and the simple reason that we're experiencing difficulty is we're living half-hearted lives, all right? God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be all in. Whatever you're doing in life, he wants you to love it so much that every ounce of your being is wholly dedicated to it. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. We're going to challenge you. All right, we're going to throw some things out there that I believe can change the future of our church. We're going to challenge you to serve. We're going to challenge you to give. We're going to challenge you to live in a way that you've never lived in the next few weeks. And some of y'all, y'all listen to this. Y'all are hoping for a breakthrough today and it's not going to come. But I want you to understand something. You're one week closer by being here. You're one week closer. If you continue to push in and go after God, you are one week closer to what God has designed for you that you know he's called you to, that you keep praying. You are one week closer. Because God wants you to go all in. You know, I think sometimes the way that we think about things, we get a little backwards. Y'all ever thought about something you thought that you knew it, you knew what was going on, you knew it, and you were totally wrong. That ever happened to any of y'all? A few days ago, my, my son Clayton walked out of the bathroom, and he had this brown stuff all over his hands. And then he went to eat it. Like, Clay, what are you doing? They've been eating a Snickers bar. Y'all ever been confused, right? You ever been confused? Like, Clay, don't do that. Don't eat your poop, son, right? Don't do that. It's sometimes we get confused. That's the first thing in your notes today that is so important is that the way that we think defines our reality. The way that we think will define our reality. Look at what Romans 12 says. Look at this. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but look, let God transform you. How's God going to transform you into a new person? By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Let me just stop there and tell you that oftentimes when we come to God and we have some difficulty going on in our lives and we're saying, God, change this, change this, change this. God doesn't change our circumstances. God changes the way that we think. 
Okay? God changes the way that we think. So then, if we will let him change the way we think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, this is number two in your notes. For Jesus to change us, we must let him change our perspective. We must let him change our perspective. Oftentimes, for our lives to be radically, completely, 180, 100% transformed, to do a 180 and turn and walk back to God, it doesn't change all of our circumstances. Oftentimes, what changes is our perspective. And today, I'm going to talk about what I think is one of the most significant things that will affect your life as you follow Jesus for the rest of your life. It is not just a moment today. It is something that will impact every step along in your journey with Jesus. And I think that what we're going to talk about today, we need to just say, God, up front, would you just let me have a different perspective on this today? I think probably to illustrate the way that, that really we think about it, it I, I, I'm going to use a lot of Braveheart analogies today. Anybody ever watched that movie before? I love me some William Wallace, right? William Wallace is this really awesome, real biographical figure out of Scotland, okay? And so King King William I, uh, King Edward I, actually went in and attacked Scotland, took control of Scotland, and then William Wallace raises this ragtag army to attack him and say, no, you're not going to take us. You're not going to enslave us. We're going to take by force what you have tried to take by force. And the first battle actually happens at a place where, where it, it's just interesting. It, there's, there's a river that separates England and Scotland. And the English amass their forces on one side of the river. The Scots, under the, the leadership of William Wallace, amass on the other side. They're outnumbered four to one. Outnumbered four to one. And... There's only one way to get from one side of the river to the other. It's a bridge that was built right there in that, that vicinity. And so king, the king, King Edwards, makes this uh, decision. All right, we're going to move our tr- troops over Stirling Bridge. We hold Stirling Castle, which is this massive fortress. And so to attack the Scots, there's none of them. We're going to defeat them. We outnumber them so much. We're going to move across so that we confront them on the other side of the river. And when Wallace sees them moving the troops across at Stirling, across this bridge, this tiny little bridge where only two men can walk across on side by side, it's so tiny. Wallace makes this awesome move. All right, they're moving, let's attack them now. And so he attacks while the king is moving his forces to the other side of the river and slaughters them, defeats them soundly. They take control of what was the British-held castle at Stirling, And they begin this massive revolution. But the king's not going to have any of it. You know that. So the king attacks. And the first place that he attacks after all of this is Sterling. It's one of those interesting things if you look in the history of it. They they plan the attack literally in front of the Scots. This castle sits on top of a mountain. and, And they begin to build these huge catapults all the way around. The largest one had the nickname Warwolf. It's over 150 feet tall. And it's the Scots who had been surrounded and who are now held up inside Stirling Castle. Look around, they see this massive force being arrayed against them. They make the choice that many of us would. They go, all right, we're going to (laughs) surrender. 
Y'all done one. And the king does something, and this is how I think many of us think of surrender. The king says, no. We've done all this work. I'm not going to accept your surrender. We're going to slaughter you anyway. So he doesn't accept their surrender. They attack. They put on this massive show. Warwolf's first shot at Stirling Castle dismantles the gatehouse and the front portion of the wall. And they slaughter literally almost everybody inside the castle. See, I think that most of us, see, this is the first thing in your notes today under that next section. Most of us, we commonly think of surrender as defeat. We commonly think of surrender as defeat. And that's really what it looked like in that scenario. But I want to paint a picture for you today that lets you understand the way that I think God looks at surrender. And I'm going to take you back to a a kind of an obscure chapter in the Bible, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because God would give him these really hard words for Jerusalem. And as he got these very difficult, challenging words, he would come to them and just share what God had told him. And he would be so moved, he would cry and weep and mourn as he was sharing the bad news. One of those moments happens in Jeremiah 38, where God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, this is what the Lord says. Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease. But those, look at this, those who surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life. You see, at this time, Israel had been under attack by the Babylonians. And they had taken so much of Israel. And Jerusalem had actually had a king appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar. He was appointed to be there. And as the other people were looking, and Jeremiah proclaims this message, hey, listen, if you stay here and fight, you're going to die. You're going to die from war, famine, or disease. But if you will surrender when the Babylonians attack, although they're in the moment of peace, if you'll surrender, you'll live. See, I want you to see something today. That our normal response to difficulty is to fight through it or to quit. Our normal response to difficulty is to fight through it or to quit. And I want you to get this today. It doesn't matter what you do in life, you're going to face resistance. You do the right thing, you're going to face resistance. You even do the wrong thing, you're going to face resistance. We've got to learn that our purpose will always be activated with God's vision in our efforts. All right, I'm going to say that again. Our purpose will always be activated with God's vision in our effort. Vision and effort will always connect us to purpose, which is why so many of us in here are struggling with purpose. Because some of y'all are working really hard, but you're working hard in an area that you don't have God's vision. And some of you have a vision. You realize that God has destined you for something or called you to something and is challenging you to make a shift in your life and you're not putting the effort behind what God has asked you to do. See, some of us are fighting the wrong fight. See, fighting the wrong fight 
is something that happens when we get the right, hef- the right effort behind the wrong vision. Some of you have a vision for your life. It's not a bad vision. We've spent some time recently talking about the different kinds of visions we can have for our own life. Some of them aren't bad. Some of them are sinful. But you have a vision for your life. It's not God's vision for your life. It's not what God wants for you. But you've been putting the right effort. You've been working hard, but you've been putting that effort behind the wrong vision. Let me just tell you something today about fighting the wrong fight. If you fight the wrong fight, you will never win. If you are fighting for the wrong vision in your life, you will never win. And there are some of you in here that you have sacrificed friends, you have sacrificed resources, money, and time for the wrong vision. And you'll never get there because you're fighting the wrong battle. See, some of us, when we hit difficult times, we just want to cowboy up and fight harder. But then some of us, a lot of us, and I just say too many of us in the culture that we live in, when we get into something, we're just looking for an excuse to quit. Just looking for a reason to back off and to quit. What is quitting? See, quitting is when we give up effort and abandon vision. Quitting is when we give up the effort and we abandon all vision. Some of you have worked hard in areas and you haven't seen the fruit that you expect to come. I mean, how many of us made New Year's resolutions nine months ago saying, I'm going to get in better shape this year, right? And y'all walked and you ran and you ate great for five days, right? If you got five days under your belt, you went and looked in the mirror, whoo, what, I look the same. I ain't going to stay hungry if I'm going to look the same, right? So I'm just going to walk away from that mess. I'm going to eat what I want to. I'm going to look like this, right? See, listen, that is not what surrender is. Surrender is when we go to God and we say, God, I have had the wrong vision, and I've put the wrong effort behind the wrong vision, so here's what I'm going to do. God, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to let go of the vision. I'm going to accept yours, and then I'm going to confess that I'm going to put all my efforts behind your vision for my life. That's what surrender is. It is not quitting. It is not quitting. And I want you to get this today, that God's vision for your life is really the, the blood that pumps through the life that he wants to give you. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, that where there is no vision, the people will decay. Other versions say this is where people perish. Your life, life in your biological existence, life will decay without vision. Which is why some of you have detected that God has called you to do something vocationally that is different than what you're doing right now. And for years, you've been pushing back against it. No, God. No, God. I'm not going to make as much money, God. No, God. I can't do that. My family needs me to make this much money. No, God. No, God. No, God. And all along, what has happened to your joy, your purpose, your fulfillment? It's decayed. Because the vision that you lack is choking the life out of you. See, God never promises that what he asks you to do is going to be easy. But he does promise that when we will follow him, we will live 
literally the most fulfilling and satisfying life that we could ever live. You see that in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 38. He makes that pronouncement. Listen, I know it's peaceful time right now, but here's what I want everybody to know. If you don't surrender to the Babylonians, you're going to die. You're going to die in war, in famine, or disease. And the leaders of Jerusalem sentence him to death. To death. This is the first time he's going to be sentenced to an execution. They dig a huge hole, fill it with mud, and throw him in there. Leave him to starve to death where he can't get out. He sinks about to his waist in the mud. And the king, the king recognizes that there must be something up with this guy. That he would risk his neck to make this bold of a statement. And so the king goes and rescues him from the pit. And they're going to have this conversation. And in this conversation, I'm going to share it with you in just a minute. I want you to see this. This is number three in your notes. That surrender is the only way to experience real life. Surrender is the only way to experience real life. So King Zedekiah kind of usurps the authority of the local government, goes and it takes a, a, a small band of his military, removes Jeremiah from the pit, really out of great effort and actually risk to him because of how deep he was buried and how far he was down. And then he has this conversation, look at this. So Jeremiah, he, he really asks Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what, what has God said to you? And Jeremiah says, I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> You're going to kill me. I, listen, I, I figured this game out already. What, and he says, no, no, Jeremiah, I promise. I'm going to honor what you tell me. I'm going to do it quietly and privately. But I want, you, I want you to tell me what God has told you. Look what he says. In verse 17, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of heaven, heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, if you surrender to the Babylonian officers, you and your family will live and the city will not be burned down. And the city will not be burned down. But if you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. If you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. The city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it to the ground. Now I want to take a moment and I want to unpack that just for a second for you. He says, if you'll surrender, the city won't be burned down. But, but if you fight this, or you quit and run, not only are you going to be killed, your family is going to become enslaved, and the city that is under your authority is going to be burned to the ground. I want you to get this, that your surrender, not only does it impact you, but it impacts everything that is under your authority. Every single thing in the Bible is really clear right here that if you have authority over something, your children, your business, okay? If you're a person who is leading within a company, the things that are under your authority will be affected by the way that you surrender to God. And God wants you to know this morning that if you refuse to surrender to him, if you refuse to surrender, all of those things under your authority will be affected. All of those things under your authority will be affected. See, I think that when we, 
think about surrender. So many of us have to have what we think about in that word, reprogram. So what I'm going to do for the remainder of the time, I'm going to talk about three different ways that we think about surrender. The first two are wrong, all right? And the last one we're going to land on is the way that I think God wants us to learn to think about surrender. The first way that we often think about surrender is what I'd like to call a negotiated surrender. A negotiated surrender. See, this is where we conditionally submit to the authority of Jesus. We conditionally submit to the authority of Jesus. That's what a negotiated surrender is. And there are many of you in here who have heard somebody or maybe even yourself have said, you know, I've just, I've kind of got a deal with God. You ever heard that before? I've got this deal. You know, if I do this, he'll do this. Or, you know what, I'm doing, I know that I'm supposed, negotiated surrender. And it's often birthed out of a misunderstanding of a verse that we have quoted way out of context, which comes out of Philippians 2, where the Bible says, this is Paul writing the church in Philippi, says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, to work out your salvation. A lot of times we have interpreted work out your salvation as in you have a bargaining chip to go before God and negotiate your surrender. And there are several ways that we negotiate our surrender. The first one is that we try to add to God's plan. We try to add to God's plan. Let me explain what that means, okay? This is where God has convicted you and challenged you. Said, hey, you know what? I really want you to be very present. Deuteronomy 6 talks about the way that we're supposed to parent our kids, to be around, to be present in their lives. But we say, hey, you know, God, I know that that's your plan, but here's what I'm going to do. I want to work a lot more hours so I can give them a lot more stuff. It's a good thing, right? I'm going to work more so I can provide for them more. So I'm going to add, let me just add a little something. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do, but I'm going to do something else that's good. This is where when God begins to challenge you about forgiving somebody and you push back and you say, but God, can you just look over here? I'm being a great employee today. I'm working really hard at work. Do you see me, God? Isn't this a good thing? We try to add to God's plan, and we try to negotiate, God, but would you, I know that you want me to do that, but, but here's what I'm going to do. It's a good thing. Or we try to subtract from God's plan. We try to subtract from God's plan. This is when we come before very difficult things that God asks us to do. Maybe some of you have been challenged in your finances along the way. And you've stood before the reality that God says, listen, what you have is not yours. All of it I gave to you. And here's my plan. I want you to give 10% of your increase to the church. And we go, hey, you know what, God? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I'll do everything else. I'll do, I, I'll do every, everything else that you want me to do, but I'm not going to do that. Because God, don't you know, like you've, got to understand my bills equal my income right now. Don't you know that, God? This is where when we stand in the face of offense, where people have wounded us, and God says, I want you to forgive them. 
the way that I've forgiven you, I want you to forgive them. And we go, um, God, I'm, here's what I'm going to do this week. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do a lot of other things, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take that thing off the, because I'm not going to do that. And there are things right now that are in your life that you have said to God, no. I realize that the Bible tells me that. I realize that that's a part of your plan, but no, I refuse. And I want you to get this today. If you continue to say no to God, all you're saying no to is the best possible life that you could ever live. That's all you're saying no to. God understands your needs. He understands what you want. He understands what your heart desires. And he says, listen, if you'll come to me, I'll give you all that stuff. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to come to you. <laughs> I'm going to try to get all that stuff on my own, God. It doesn't work out real well, y'all. And the last way that we try to negotiate is with a if this, then that plan. All right, God, here's what. I know you want me to give, and I'll tithe. But here's the thing, God. My husband, he ain't paying me any attention. So here's, here's what. If, you, if you'll get him to bring me some flowers for the next few days, every day, if you, just, if, if you can make that happen, then I'll tithe. God, my kids is going crazy, crazy. If you can, if you can just do this thing at home, then you know what? Then I'll, then I'll forgive that person that hurt me. If this, then that. We try to negotiate with God. And I want you to understand today that a negotiated surrender is not a surrender. As a matter of fact, look at that verse. We're going to look at that verse in a, in a different way. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Look at this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That verse does not give you permission to negotiate a surrender. It actually tells you that as we live fully surrendered, there should be things that are seen that everybody can go, hey, that is the work of salvation. That is the, I see it coming out of you. I see forgiveness. I see charity. I see grace. I can see the works of salvation as they come out of you. Do y'all remember that moment? It's actually a, a pretty historically accurate moment in the battle of Braveheart as we see um, this moment where he's amassed now not just a small ragtag group of Scotsmen, but now all the nobles have joined from all over Scotland to fight this massive king's army. They're going to face for the first time the heavy horse charge, which had slaughtered men for decades. And Wallace has this brilliant plan to deal with it. But the nobles all control the mounted horse cavalry. And in this really sad scene, right before the army attacks, you see the nobles, one by one, leave the battlefield. And it shows the king on the other side. And he says, they surrendered because I promised them lands and money and they abandoned Wallace right there in the middle of the battlefield on a negotiated surrender I just want you to understand today 
that that's not the kind of surrender that God wants. See, some of us don't just have a negotiated surrender. We have what I would call a partial surrender. A partial surrender. Partial surrender is when we submit to the authority of Jesus in certain select areas of our lives. In certain select areas of our lives. There's some of you that today, there are areas of your life that you really are trying to submit to the Lord. You're trying wholeheartedly, trying to be the parent that God wants you to be. Maybe at work, you're really trying to be the boss or the employee that you know God wants you to be. But there are areas that you are refusing to let go of. There are areas that exist in the quiet that nobody else sees. That you're saying, no, God, I'm not going to let you touch that thing. See, partial surrenders actually happen in our life most of the time in moments of crisis and through lifelong personal culture. Let me talk about those two things. Moment of crisis. See, oftentimes, you ever been to that moment where you, you know you haven't really been living for God the way that he wants you to, but you hit a crisis in life. Your kids go crazy. Your finances go out of the roof, right? You just can't handle a certain area of life, and you get to that moment, and you say, God, I'm tired of trying to do it. I'm in a crisis. Would you please rescue my finances? Would you please rescue my kids? God, would you please rescue my spouse? I'll do whatever you want. Just come. And we lay it down, that one area of our lives, in the moment of a crisis. And sometimes, by God's grace, we don't pick it up. But what does God do? God always shows up, doesn't he? He always rescues us. He always takes care of us. And then oftentimes, that surrender that we experienced as things start to smooth out, we kind of pick that thing back up. It also comes in ways that we have lived. See, I think some of y'all don't realize that there's been a partial surrender in your life because it's always been that way. It's always been that way for you. You've always kind of ran your own show. You've always kind of said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, that's a good thing. I'm going to do this, but here's, I'm going to call the shots on the rest of it. And we see that actually displayed in Mark 10, where Jesus has this conversation with a wealthy man. This man comes to him and says, Jesus, there's something different about you. I see a different kind of life through you. I want this life, Jesus. What do I need to do to get this life? And then he says, you know what? Here's what you need to do. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't lie. Honor your father and your mother. He actually goes back to the Ten Commandments and lists out what we call the behavioral commandments. And this guy's a little confused. He looks at Jesus and says, but Jesus, I've been doing all of those since I was a kid. See, it's interesting that he didn't start with the first one. The first commandment, have no other God before your God. Because if he would have said that, there's no way that he could have said, I've done that since I was a kid. I love that Jesus responds this way in Mark 10, 21, when he talks to the man. Looking at the man, look, look, look at this. Jesus felt genuine love for him. See, in our failure, a lot of times there's some of us in here and we think that God is opposed to us. That God's going to rip your head off. He's going to cut your arms off. He's going he's to come after you. 
But see, in this moment where this guy is totally wrong, Jesus looks him dead in the eyes and feels genuine love for him. And he says this, there is still one thing that you haven't done. You still lack one thing. That's what other verses and other translations would say. You still lack something. You've done all the things. You've gotten all the behaviors right, but you still lack. You still don't have it. And see, we need to understand that as he goes on to talk to this man, he says, here's what you need to do. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the Bible records that that man walks away, his head hung low, because he was possessed by his possessions. See, the reason he didn't say, have no other God before me, he didn't start with command number one, was because the God that was before God was what he owned. He had partially surrendered to God. He said, God, I'll give you my behavior, but I'm not going to give you my heart. See, that's not the kind of surrender that God wants. As a matter of fact, the kind of surrender that God wants is a complete surrender. A complete surrender. A complete surrender is when we submit every area of our lives to the authority of Jesus when we submit every area of our lives to the authority of Jesus, when we make that decision to look into the heart of God and say, God, I am tired of running my own show. I'm tired of making the calls. I can't do it. I recognize that as I've tried, I have failed. I have not been, I have not led myself to a life that is fulfilling and helpful. As a matter of fact, I've wrecked it. So God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to surrender to you. And I want you to get this about complete surrender. A complete surrender is both a decision and a process. It is a decision and a process. It's something that you must decide in your heart. God, I'm going to give you everything. But along the way, he's going to continue to reveal to you, that's not mine. You've held that back from me. And so we must go through the process of being constantly refined and challenged and surrendering completely to Him. When we make a decision to completely surrender, along the way what happens is when God reveals it to us, we don't fight Him, we don't push back, we surrender to Him. We say, God, I realize I put the wrong effort behind the wrong vision, so here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to accept your vision for my life in that area. I'm going to surrender to you. Can I tell you something about something that's a process? This is why many of you, five days in, quit your goals this year to get in better shape. When something's a process, you can't cheat the process. When something is a process, you can't cheat the process. And some of y'all have experienced trauma in your life and you wanted to get over it real quick, but there's a process to grieving and healing and you've tried to mask it and continually, continually you struggle because you keep going back and having the same problems because you're cheating the process. Some of you know that there's been addictive tendencies in your life and you keep saying, hey, if I could just get clean, And you can get clean for three weeks or three months or a year, but then you keep going back to the same stuff because you try to cheat the process. And as believers, there's not one of us in this room that doesn't have something that God's got his hand on right now saying, I want you to surrender that to me. Because it's a process. 
And when it's a process, you cannot cheat the process. You see, along the way, we must accept that we're going to get this wrong. That there are going to be areas of our lives that we're going to have the wrong vision. We're going to have the wrong thoughts, the wrong precepts. We're going to think about it the wrong way. And what are you going to do when you hit that moment? Are you going to try to fight harder? Are you going to fight the wrong fight? I just want to remind you, if you're going to fight harder for the wrong thing, all you're ever going to do is lose. And some of y'all, all you've done up until now is quit. When you hit difficulty, when you find out that I've been going after the wrong thing, all you do is just quit, throw in the towel. Or are you going to surrender to God? Are you going to look at God and say, God, I have blown it, I have wrecked it, and I have messed up my life. But here's the thing that we all need to be reminded from Jeremiah 38, that if you will surrender to God, if you will completely and fully surrender to him, it will bring life to you. Surrender is not defeat. Surrender in this life to Jesus is the key to experiencing life. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that you are a loving and good and gracious God that you rescue us from ourselves even when we've blown it. And today, God, as many of us today are challenged with the reality that you want us to completely surrender ourselves to you. Lord, it's our prayer that by your grace and mercy, that right now, that God, we would let go of all the fights that we're fighting, all the things that we've accepted that are false and not good. God, in those areas where we've just quit, we've even stopped fighting, that we would be fully surrendered to you, that we would accept your vision, and that we would put our effort and work right behind what you want to do. So God, we just come before you and ask you right now to help us make that decision. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just ask you today if that's you. Right now, does God have something on you? Is he pressing into something that's in your life that you know he wants you to surrender to him? Right now. What is it? What does God want you to surrender? What does God want you to let go of? Because it's in that place right now that God wants to give you life. Raise your hand right now if you just want to commit to God saying, God, I'm going to surrender to you. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. Awesome. Who else? God, I'm just, I want to surrender to you today. I see that hand. I see that one. I see those. I see those. I want to ask if you're a believer that's here today and you've been wrestling with something for a long time and maybe... You've tried to negotiate a deal. Maybe you've just said, hey, I'm just going to be surrendered in these other areas, but I'm not going to mess with that one. Maybe today God has his hand on something that you know he wants you to surrender to him. Right now, if that's you and you just want to say to God, God, I'm going to surrender it to you, raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. So God, we just come before you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. 
And God, as we surrender to you, we're not going to cheat the process. So come and work, work in our lives. Lead us and guide us and pull the vision that you have in our lives out of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.